Welcome to Keeping It Marian. I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. We are two Marian priests, and together we join Mary in keeping the Word of God and the events of our daily lives, pondering them in our hearts. Today, we're going to be discussing ourselves. <laughs> we're going to share how the Word of God has affected us in our own lives, from the families of origin to our vocational paths, all the way to being a Marian, and today sharing these moments of the podcast and videos with you together. So I'll ask the question first then. Sure. Where are you from? Okay. <laughs> How did you get here? No. Yes, this will be a, a fun challenge since both you and I are verbose to see if we can keep this concise. But to answer the question, where am I from? I'm from, uh, born and raised in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I was born in 1976. Uh, my mother is Jennifer. My father is Michael. Um, <clears throat> and... I, Basically, being raised in a in a family in which my mother, being from England, and my father being from the South, both like anywhere between the Carolinas and Florida is where his family is from. Um, there's obviously difference of cultures um, growing up in the household, um, but of course, uh, I'm very thankful for that. You know, rounding. It was always interesting um, spending time with either one of the you know sides of the family for for holidays or that sort of thing. Uh, I would go to England and they would tell me to use my fork one way, and I would go to Georgia to to you know the next Thanksgiving or what have you to uh, my dad's side of the family and they would tell me to use it the opposite way. And so I was constantly conflicted on how should I use this fork. <laughs> um, but it was a uh, a good upbringing. I'm I'm thankful to say that um, to this day they're uh, still alive and 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 kicking. They they just celebrated a little more than a month ago, I believe, their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations! To Thank them. you. I mean, it's it's uh, it is a wonderful gift um, for themselves, uh, but as also for me, you know, to still be blessed, you know, with with their their presence and their involvement in my life. Um, I'm their only child between the two of them. Um, I do have a half-brother and a half-sister. My father, before meeting my mother, uh, was married before and then divorced and later on met my mom. Um, so my brother and sister are about 10 years older than I. Um, they oftentimes weren't in the house. So I'm both blessed to have siblings that love and care for me. Um, however... I also had the spoiledness of basically being raised as an only child as well, uh, which certainly uh, has has had its bearing on who I am today. Um, and that is probably like the most terse way I could go ahead and put my where am I from answer to you. So you won't give us the Encyclopedia Britannica version? No. I mean, <laughs> goodness gracious. I mean, it, it's, it is as anything is with God's story in any human life. Um, one that has definitely got its twists and turns, but uh, that definitely uh, kind of gives. <clears throat> and to this day, they still live in the same house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so when I go home on visits, you know, I sleep in the rooms that, you know, I'm very familiar wow. with. Okay. Um, so, wow. absolutely. Yeah, that's a little different than my own story because uh, having lost my parents when I was mm -hmm. young, uh, I actually don't 
get to go back to my home, which I don't say per se is a, a thing to gain sorrow or compassion, but just an right. interesting detail because even while my parents were alive, we moved from one house to the next. So I never got to go back to Quinby where I was first uh, well, not born there, but where I first grew up after I was born. Uh, so you also mentioned something that I do have in common, but in a reverse way, mm. which is you said being like an only child and yet having siblings. Uh, I am the youngest of five, so I grew up with many siblings, but because I'm the youngest, I was the last one in the house. So mm. everybody had left by the time that I was in seventh grade. So wow. I had a good uh, six, seven years just with my dad, as if I were an only child. So uh, I'm now an uncle of 17, so I've got a pretty big family. <laughs> uh, tell people I don't have to worry about being a celibate uh, man in terms of caring on the family line. My All of my siblings have been married and have kids. Um, but I got that experience as well of, you know, being part of a big family and then uh, being the sole focus of my dad and getting tricks or treats that uh, later my siblings would be like, hey, dad never got me that <laughs> because they were one of five at the time. And That's then right. when I was just the one, I got all sorts of nice things that they never got. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, the guys here often give me flack because I am very proud of being Texan and uh, make it known to everybody the, the glories of my state. That's right. Um, but born and raised in Houston, the youngest of five. My mother passed when I was two. She had skin cancer, which had spread as a tumor to her brain. It actually removed from her shoulder. Uh, but this is before they did regular CAT scans and other scans to make sure that it's nowhere else. So by the time they found it, uh, they would have had to do surgery that would have left her in a vegetative state. So she opted to just live the rest of her days with us at home. Uh, so then I lived with my dad and my siblings. He died in 2005 when I was 18. Uh, and all my grandparents have passed away. So it's a natural kind of segue to the Marian charism of praying for the deceased, which I'll Kind of save for the next part of how we became Marians, but it was part and parcel of uh, growing up. And also just the devotion to Our Lady, because our pastor gave us a statue of Our Lady of Fatima, which was going around to the different families in the, the parish as a way of getting the families to pray the rosary for two weeks together. And because my mother was passing away, he bought a different statue for the rest of the parishioners and let Our Lady stay with us. Uh, which obviously has left a pretty big impact on me because the only woman in the house for many years was Our Lady. Sure. Uh, was her statue there present uh, in our living room. My dad had purposely removed the TV actually from the, the position, the central place, and put Our Lady there uh, as a way of saying that she is you know, kind of the queen of the house and the queen of this family in the absence of my mom. So, I mean, I know tons of details about you from the the amount of time I spent with you now. <laughs> I'd love to plug you for any number of things, but uh, perhaps you can share, because I know you weren't Catholic, uh, and then you became Catholic, and now you're a Marian. Uh, yeah, anything you want to share from that? Well, yeah, I mean, my faith journey is, again, like just about everybody's, is, is interesting and unique in different ways, but um, my mother, being from England, was raised Church of England, uh, my father, being from the South, was raised Baptist. Um, <clears throat> and when they raised me in our home uh, in Brandon, Florida, um, they raised me Lutheran. And partly because the church was literally just two miles up the road, you know, from, from the house. I Fair think enough. it's hard to argue, like closeness, proximity. Uh, but also I think they, they must have met 
um, the pastor uh, of Emmanuel Lutheran Church, um, the founding pastor, and his you know name was Pastor Robinson, and he was just a very, you know, big, verbose lover of Christ, and they're like, this this will do, you know. It was kind of like right in the middle between their their faith traditions. Um, the pastor was just uh, an amazing guy. Um, and I, I always kind of thought of him as a as a kind of a second father of sorts, especially a, a my first, if you will, spiritual father of the faith. Uh, while we didn't have a lot of conversations, I can definitely remember some pivotal conversations um, in that Lutheran upbringing where I might have you know questions about how does science you know harmonize with a belief in God. And we would talk about those types of things, and he would point out studies like about nature and about you know the the way that things seem to be better explained by showing that there's a uh, kind of intelligence behind creation instead of just the idea that things randomly you know kind of sussed out the way they did, um, or even you know you know how I love to peer into the meaning of songs and movies and that sort of thing. Well. Um, I was reflecting on this earlier that um, I, during my teenage angsty years, you know, I got into a music uh, group um, called Nine Inch Nails. And I say group, it was really just kind of one guy. But very harsh music, very angry music. But they talked about God a lot, but it wasn't in the nice way of talking about God. Uh, and my mom was scared. Mm-hmm. She's like, what is my son listening to? And Understandably. so, you know, she called the pastor and he came in. We went through the lyrics and honestly, like I had never done that before, you know, and it was fascinating to kind of go through this stuff. And he's like, wow, this is a lot of angry stuff. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it, it is that. But we would look through the things and, and he's like, you know, this is actually good stuff. Like, and, and he would ask me some questions. And, but those two particular moments, you know, were, were huge uh, in my formative years. Um, sadly, Uh, He passed as I was getting ready to end or leave high school. Um, And at that same time, uh, getting my newfound, you know, adulthood, young adulthood for, you know, freedom, uh, I just kind of stopped going to church. And so before I even entered into my 20s, you know, going to church for me was was not a a thing anymore. I believed that that Jesus died for my sins, Mm -hmm. um, and I felt thought that was the extent of the Christian faith. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't need to keep going to Sunday, you know, yeah. uh, uh, church service to, to know that, you know, kind of thing. So that that was kind of my upbringing in the faith. Now, of course, my mom was always a, an example um, of, of prayer outside of church. Uh, my father, you know, he, we never really talked. Um, and we could talk more about this, you know, you know in, in revolving around my conversion. But... Him and I, I don't really have a lot of conversation or, or recollection of talking about the faith. You know, he worked. That was his example of, of love. Is he he worked his tail off uh, to provide for the family. Um, but it wasn't until my later, much later conversion to the Catholic faith that that we started talking about the faith all the time. And, mm-hmm. and now it's it's a wonderful thing that we share. You know, nice. not just between me and my mom, but also between me and my dad. Oh, that's nice. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean that's obviously different than in my upbringing since I'm yes. cradle Catholic, right. uh, youngest in the line. So I remember going to Sunday Mass always. And my own faith, 
always just been enkindled ever since I can remember. I remember uh, gathering around that statue, Our Lady of Fatima, on Sunday mornings because my dad wouldn't let us watch uh, TV or play Nintendo games until noon on Sundays, which to me was like a death sentence at the time because, you know, what else is a kid going to do if you don't have Super Nintendo to play or radio to listen to? Um, but I remember praying, and that obviously made an impact on me and the presence of Mary, not just the statue, but that time to allow her to really be present to my family. And I remember going to Sunday mass. It didn't make a huge impact. Uh, but then I began going to morning mass after I became an altar boy. Uh, and I don't know if for spiritual reasons or just my peers were also doing it. And I thought, you know, something kind of fun and neat to do. But I remember having a particular joy there at mass that just intrigued me and I wanted to go more. I know now Jesus's real presence and all the, the theology, let's say, behind mass. But at the time, it was just an intuitive sense of, I really like it here. Yeah. Uh, and that turned into many years of just coming to mass in the morning to alter serve uh, before school. And then, of course, when you inch closer to teenage years, uh, that's when it's not so popular to pray. I right. kind of joke about you know, Catholic schools, what's the most unpopular thing to do to be Catholic? <laughs> if you show up to Mass and pray, uh, save for a few people perhaps in the group of prayer, it's definitely not popular. So I had my time of kind of pushing away and wanting to, to be popular, and not in a huge way, but just to make more friends. Um, and it was partly one of my few girlfriends uh, who brought me back. She played the flute at the Mass. And I went to Sunday Mass still, but just... Not terribly interested, sure. uh, but you know my interest obviously was peaked in wanting to to drive and to go see her, and she was very much interested in the faith, and that reminded me, hey, I've I've kind of lost some of this, and I remember uh, around that time waking up, I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and feeling a certain kind of ugh feeling in the morning, not total depression, I wasn't like clinically depressed, yeah. but just this off feeling, and I thought, you know, why do I? Why am I not happy? You know, I don't think I have a reason to be kind of malcontent. I mean, I, I didn't come from a rich family. Of course, yes, I didn't have my grandparents nor my mom. But, you know, I, compared to many people in the world, I have a very good upbringing. And I realized a lot of it had to do with just I had not been going to Mass mm -hmm. during the week anymore. I stopped praying the rosary with my dad. I didn't visit the Blessed Sacrament because one of the schools I went to had it. Uh, perpetual adoration, so sometimes I would drop in there during moments in school or after school. And I realized that that distance from the Lord just left me in a place of kind of void or just blech. Uh, the best example I can give to describe it is when I went with my dad. This was shortly before he died. We didn't know he was sick yet. Went to West Texas near Big Bend, and uh, it was Holy Week, so we were going to spend like John the Baptist you know, out in the desert, time of retreat. And my dad was pretty penitential, more than I realized. So we got there, and I broke open the food because I was hungry. I was 18, and uh, I was looking for what to make. And I was like, great pasta. I love pasta. So I'm rummaging through the, the containers to look for salt. And i like, Dad, there's no salt. He's like, yeah, I didn't bring any salt. <laughs> You're joking, right? Like, you, you didn't bring salt for food. Like, nope, I thought it would be penitential. So then I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll try to be penitential. It was so bad that we chucked it. <laughs> we both tried to actually consume just boiled pasta and water that we, no matter how hungry I was, we were like, this is beyond. And my dad regretted not bringing salt. And 
I, that's kind of the best image from my life to understand like what life is like without God. Mm. I mean, I never, thanks be to God, ever lived totally without him. Sure. Uh, he never let me go that far by his providence. But even the distance he did allow was just kind of like the, ugh, I know that's food. I know that's life, but you know, something's missing because yeah. this ain't delicious. <laughs> uh, and that's probably what brought me back. I was like, okay, maybe I should try to pray a bit more. And sure enough, didn't solve all my problems, but certainly there was a deep joy and peace that came back into my life. So I know I'll probably have to fast forward through a fair number of years in your life, but <laughs> between the Lutheran minister knowing that Jesus loves you and died for you, uh, what brought you from there to your conversion and being Catholic? Well, in the 20s, I was definitely far afield uh, from God, not <clears throat> in in an intellectual way, but obviously in a way in which I was conducting my life. And again, not in a way that I was thinking, gee, I believe God wants me to do these things. I'm going to do these opposite things. It was just, well, living the way that all the people around me were living. Um, and in my 20s, at the age of 24, I got married. Um, and, you know, things were good in a lot of ways, and things were very difficult in a lot of ways. Uh, and eventually, uh, we both agreed that it wasn't going to work out. You know, so before the age of thirty, you know, just almost five years into into marriage, uh, we we got divorced. Oh, I didn't realize it was a full five years. Okay, it was almost not quite, but yes, okay. it was pretty okay. much. Um, and uh, so, right before the age of thirty, you know, my my birthday's in January, and in November, I'm at the court, you know, signing the papers for the divorce and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really having that sink in, you know, that here I am about to turn 30 and I've got nothing mm. to show for my life. You know, it was really probably one of the lowest points that I had uh, yeah. really reached in my life. Um, and in the next couple of years, you know, uh, just did my best to uh, cope with many different mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, drinking was part of that, you know. Uh, video games was a massive part of that. <laughs> uh, but really, you know, the the thing that was the most uh, probably important was just you know I was blessed to have you know many good friends mm-hmm. during that time uh, to help me through you know that that part of my life. Um, and eventually, uh, before. You know, I turned 32, so just a few years later, um, I met a girl at a bar uh, who... (laughs) How proverbial almost. I know, I know. And and it's, as you were talking about, you know, the girl that you, you know, girlfriend that you had, you know, that that kind of made you kind of perk up a little bit about the importance of faith in your life. She herself, um, who has an incredible story, Uh, was a new Catholic by the time I I had met her. And so she was just very interested in my own religious upbringing Mm -hmm. Um, by by just simply probing and asking a few questions. um, I started to realize that I knew nothing about being a Christian. You know, I knew that, again, Christ died for my sins. What else is there? That was Mm -hmm. basically the depths Mm -hmm. uh, of my understanding. And so that probing sparked within me, uh, one, um, a sense of humiliation, mm-hmm. as it should have, you know, that, that here I am, a professed Christian. If someone would have asked me, are you a Christian? I would have been like, yep. Um, but, but one, not really knowing what the faith is about. Yeah. And that, uh, that kindling, if you will, um, then kind of pushed me to 
will go to my own church services, my old Lutheran church. Um, and I started to do that, but because I was doing it, because I, I really wanted to see what this was about, like, here's this, you know, young woman and same age as me and in, in her uh, early thirties. And why is it that she's got this, you know, recognition of the importance of faith in her life? And I don't, mm-hmm. and, and, and I was just open to it at that point. You know, my, my life was already kind of mm-hmm. on life support, yeah. um, and so it was the proper time or the time that God had ordained for me to, to give this a go. And, mm-hmm. and very quickly, going to my own Lutheran church, I could hear him speaking to me and the, you know, the pastor's you know, sermon and the, the scriptures that were being read, even the, the hymns that were being sung. I, I never liked you know, re, you know, singing the hymns at the beginning of, of you know, the church services and everything, but the words were just speaking directly to whatever was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told my friend Tasha, the, the girl that I met in a bar, that, hey, I went to church and it was awesome. She's like, oh, it's great. And then since Lent was getting ready to start that particular year, she invited me to Station of the Cross, which I had never been to that before. And that was a amazing, you know, uh, what I call a semi-mystical experience. I always put, you know, uh, clarify a little bit because it wasn't like I was seeing no. things or hearing things, but the stuff that was going on in my mind and in my heart were definitely of divine origin yeah. and and um that shook me you know that station of the cross that first one that i went to really uh again just just to my core woke me up and slowly and surely well not really that slowly but definitely surely <laughs> uh he he just kind of rocketed me through i just mm-hmm. kept uh wanting to know more and more you know looking up truths of the faith on the internet um you know, what did happen with the whole Protestant Reformation. I mean, being a Lutheran, I knew of it, but right. I didn't really get into the minutia of it all. Um, and kind of, you know, really just delving deep into that and just seeing, well, why are there all this division? Yeah. You know, and, and I remember distinctly, you know, being saddened by it. Like, my gosh, like, what has happened? Yeah. You know, and, and but just wanting to, above all, above anything, of course, there was no notion of priesthood at this moment. It was just enter the church, enter, you know, be close to me, you know, um, in the sacraments. And and that's what I wanted to do. Well, it is amazing how the Lord in his providence uses many different people, (laughs) whether it's girlfriends or pastors, or even just inspirations from our own heart to lead us, you know, closer to him through your own study, you know, what actually did happen. For instance, in the Reformation, I hear that so many conversion stories, you know, the quote from St. John Henry Newman, you know, to, to go back into history is to cease to be Protestant because mm. once you start looking things up, it's hard to not reach the conclusion of there's something yeah. to the Catholic Church. Uh, I mean, I don't have that same kind of story, obviously, since I was born Catholic. I often tell people I don't have a sensational type of story. You know, I here we are in the house where Father Don Calloway comes and at least spends some of the days since he's off and traveling. Uh, but I remember when I listened to his story, I thought, I can't relate to that at all. Yeah. <laughs> because I have a rather prosaic and boring upbringing compared to all that he went through and the ways that God manifested his mercy to him. When I was in kindergarten, I remember my brother Robbie, at my ordination, he showed the book that uh, the teacher would have us write. You know, A is for apple, B is for oh, sure. ball, and C is for cat, to learn our alphabet yep. and to learn to write. And yep. He had saved it somehow, or my dad had, and he found it, and I had written P is for priest. 
Oh, this is before I could even remember. So clearly from a very young age, the Lord had put this desire within my heart. And so when people are curious, like, how did you know when to be a priest? It's like, I mean, how do people know that they want to be an artist or, you know, a, a businessman? It's something that in one sense just grows naturally out of their hearts. Now, obviously, it's a supernatural vocation. So yeah. that's where the fact that my mother practiced her faith well and uh, she went with, to Medjugorje with my dad. And that was something that brought them both back to the rosary with the family. Um, so the faith certainly enabled this vocation to be something kind of natural. Now, I wanted to be an astronaut. Being from Houston, I, I went to Florida. So uh, I saw Cape Canaveral and one of the shuttle launches, which obviously made a pretty big impact on me as a kid because after that, I, I was dead set on being an astronaut. I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and become a pilot because I wanted to be a shuttle for the shuttle. It's uh, a pilot for the shuttle. Uh, sadly, I remember I was driving in Texas with my dad when we saw the second shuttle uh, come apart in the air. I remember yeah. looking up before we'd even listened to the radio and I said, I think that, you know, that's the shuttle or it. I noticed that. And that, of course, then they were all grounded. So I'm kind of glad that I didn't take that path, um, even if SpaceX is trying to, <laughs> you know, revive some amount of that. Um, and when I was in seventh grade, I remember I was homeschooled for two years with my dad. And it was a pretty lonely year. Uh, and I was already practicing the faith. I had going to mass as much as I could. Uh, but that's when I read the autobiography of St. Therese Lisieux, mm -hmm. who was the patron of our family. By my dad's side, we're very French. Uh, we have the full lineage back to the 1700s when our first ancestors arrived in Louisiana. Um, or most of my extended family actually lives still is in Louisiana. And her autobiography resonated with me because I also felt you know, a lot of suffering. I, without my mother, all my siblings by then had left. Uh, my dad had triple bypass surgery, so I really couldn't leave the home. I was an hour out of the of Houston. We were in Simonton, Texas. I joke that our neighbors were goats and cows, uh, but literally <laughs> we had to drive them out of our lawn multiple times. So it's kind of lonely. So I could relate to the idea of suffering uh, as a path to going closer to God. And I remember I, I told my dad at one point, like, I, I promise you I want to be a saint. Uh, and I don't take credit for that as if, you know, some magnanimous desire right. in my heart, but a, a simple kind of reality check of yeah, my brother's off to university, you know, some have girlfriends, some are married, and just feeling like I'm not really amounting to anybody, uh, but it seems like I can, I can become a saint. Uh, and that kind of became a great desire in my heart uh, until, of course, teenage years hit and uh, interest and in trying to be a bit more popular, like I said. And then my girlfriend, uh, we were having conversation. This was after I started to come to Mass more often. Uh, and one line on the call, she said, you know, you'd make a great priest. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, man, all bets are off if your own girlfriend yeah. <laughs> tells you that you should be a priest. <laughs> I don't know if I have many more excuses before the Lord. Um, and it was also with her, I remember I went to homecoming and in the midst of all the noise, you know, it's loudspeakers and everything. And I remember distinctly, it was not audible, but it was pretty clear that I felt the Lord say like, no woman will ever satisfy your heart. Which, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be sexist or misogynist here, but just the gift of celibacy, the call to chastity that the Lord himself desires, you know, my heart, uh, which is a unique calling and a unique vocation. And, you know, if I try to escape that, his point was, you can try to get out of that, but you're never going to be fully satisfied because mm -hmm. that's not what I'm actually calling you to. Uh, so I continued to discern uh, and I entered the Jesuits after high school, uh, but then I left after a year because uh, I knew I wanted to be a priest, knew I wanted to be a religious priest, 
but was finding that just wasn't the right fit. So maybe before I launch into how I found the Marians, I'll ask you, because you basically left off right at the cusp of being Catholic. How do you go from actually entering the church to finding the Marians and now being here with me in Ohio? Well, goodness. I mean, <clears throat> when I felt, you know, the Lord calling me to, to become Catholic, uh, and for me, like becoming Catholic, even it, it sounds odd in my own head. Um, cause it's a, it's a funny thing, like being raised, you know, with a lot of English literature, you know, things like, uh, Robin Hood and King Arthur and, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, Tolkien. I mean, that was just like my mm -hmm. diet growing up. And whenever I would see these old movies about knights and that sort of thing, well, I would see what I would have described as like the Catholic church service going on in, in mm -hmm. ancient uh, portrayals of Christianity. And so in my mind, I just kind of figured that whether you were Baptist or Pentecostal or... Lutheran in my case. Well, at root, we're all Catholic. Like that, in, and, and what I realized or what I thought at the time was that the only differences were kind of the exterior things. Like this church likes mm -hmm. this kind of music. This church, like the Catholic church, likes a lot of, you know, incense and, and chanting. And this one likes contemporary music. And that's where I thought that the, the differences you know, basically stopped. And as I already shared, like when I started to really look into it, I was like, oh my gosh, like these differences, yeah. you know, obviously there's a, a scale of importance, but there's big important, you know, mm -hmm. differences amongst oh, yeah. these. And, and so that's coming to realize that. And that's, that's what gave me then the, the, the drive, if you will, to find out, well, what is true? You know, which side has this right? You know, what, you know, and, and and just prayerfully, that's that's how I kind of, I don't say I, you know, read myself into the church. I, I just felt like I was already there, but I had all these people on the periphery, all mm -hmm. my friends who were giving me various reasons as to not enter the Catholic <laughs> church. And so I was like, well, I got to answer their objections. You sure. know, it wasn't my objections. But in the midst of all of that, there was only one ultimate thing is I just wanted to do what the Lord wanted me to do. Because my whole life, I did what I wanted to do. You know, when I was little, people would ask you, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. And I really didn't know. But nobody ever asked me the question, what do you think God wants mm -hmm. you to do with your life? You know, that that was never a question, mm -hmm. at least not one that I w had heard. Yeah. So here we are, you know, after, uh, uh, you know, a relatively – you know, failed life is a little bit dramatic, but, you know, kind of hitting rock bottom, you mm -hmm. know, just, just mm -hmm. hitting uh, this this place in my life where I just didn't think I could go any lower. And then the Lord's kind of tapping me on the shoulders like, are you ready to give, you know, my way a chance? And I'm like, okay, whatever you want. And so I mention all that just to kind of describe or help to contextualize the openness mm -hmm. that I had. And so whatever was next... You know, I I was just like, well, let's just see. You know, there really was, you know, one of the things that was huge in, in my conversion, um, uh, as I was on the journey a few months in, I came across uh, Theology of the Body, mm -hmm. uh, particularly uh, Christopher West's, you know, interpretation of Theology of the Body, who did an amazing job of kind of 
going back to my old heritage, if you will, of consuming music and movies and that sort of thing, uh, you know, speaking to me uh, of a place of pop culture, which I was very immersed in, yeah. uh, but showing how Pope John Paul II is, is, you know, describing how these desires, you know, help us to to long, you know, to to fulfill what we're created for mm-hmm. as either a man or as uh, as a woman. And of course, you know, part of the treatment in that is the vocation to marriage as well as the vocation to the celibate life, you know, i.e. the priesthood yeah. uh, or consecrated religious. And how both of those yeah. are, are two paths to really fulfilling what it is to be a, a man or a woman. So I come to realize, wow, these are both great, you know. So part of me wants a redo on the marriage. <laughs> but another one's like, but that whole celibacy thing for the kingdom sounds amazing as well. But at that time, technically, I was still married. Mm-hmm. My process for annulment was underway, mm-hmm. but I couldn't make that decision. So I was able to kind of put that away on the shelf and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I got the news that the annulment did go through. Um, and then I was like, darn, now I have to make that decision again. <laughs> I'd been at such peace without having to choose. And, and so I just continued to pray. You know, I continued to pray. I didn't know. Um, and, and the more I prayed about it and, and gave it time, I didn't need an answer right away. There was so much going on in my life. Um, I just continued to let it be and just, you know, allow the Lord to, to reveal that in his time. And it got to the point where, you know, I felt like I should at least give the, the priesthood track a, a chance just to see. And there was never any, like, this is what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the conversation. It was just like, do you trust me? Mm-hmm. You know, and there could have absolutely have been like, let's do this for a week. And then, nope, that's not where you're, you're going to go over here. Um, but once I decided on the priesthood, then I had to make another decision. Do I check out religious life or do I do, you know, diocesan? So I went to visitations of, of both of them. And when I came to visit the Marians, um, it just, it felt like, uh, it felt like home. Mm-hmm. It felt like, you know, the, the men that were in the house at that time, um, they, they were men in whom I wanted to serve the Lord with, that I wanted to be in a sense, brothers in arms yeah. with, and and that was just how clear the Lord made it for me. And I know so many other uh, of our brothers have gone to this. As you mentioned, you know, you went to the Jesuits right. um, and before you came here. And I know of others that have gone to like half a dozen yeah. different, you know, trying to find. You know, so it's just, it's interesting to see. Yeah. But for me, it was just like, maybe it's because I was so much older in life. I mean, this is, we're talking about my mid-30s at this point. You know, and uh, so the Lord's like, look, I'm not going to have you go through this long journey of discovery and everything. It was like, I just need to get it from point A to point B right now. Um, and so that was basically it. It, it uh, I came on the come and see within 24 hours, I'm emailing Father Callaway, okay, what's next? Okay. You know, and then I entered in the community, uh, you know, a few months after that, I believe. Okay. What year was that? Goodness. Marvelous. That would have been, uh, I came as a postulant or I became a postulant in August of 2011. Okay. Okay. So a few years after me. I always find that strange because you're older than me mm. and yet I'm older in the community since right. I entered in 2007. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I went to a Jesuit high school and it was natural for me. Some very good Jesuits who I still respect um, very much living fully their vocations. 
And so I naturally enter, tried it out, but I gravitated, of course, towards the rosary since I grew up praying that with my family. The Divine Mercy Chaplet that my dad had mm. introduced me to shortly before his death. Uh, and praying for the souls in purgatory because that's, you know, looking up in the bulletin to see if the mass was offered for my mom or for other relatives was just part of life. And so I kind of had the Marian charism and the way it manifests itself from birth, even though I didn't know that because Marians don't live in Texas. Um, and at the time, I had no contact with them. And I remember I, I wanted to leave the Jesuits because I had a sense, you know, it's like with marriage, you know, you can't say, well, I'm supposed to be married to a woman. So like, well, you, you know, you're good enough. You're a woman. So that, that's sufficient. I mean, it, it's a specific relationship with a specific right. person. And so uh, it's another story that I'll share at another point. But I remember praying that the Lord would get me out of the Jesuits. And so in the novice master... Weeks later, asked me, said, you know, I think it's a good time for you to go to study so you can enter another community that's more fitting for you. Uh, he was expecting me to be angry, and I right. was quite happy because I, I told him, well, you're answering my prayer. And he was a bit dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say to me. <laughs> and I remember getting the Lighthouse Media CDs. I listened mm -hmm. to all the Scott Hans, and I found Callaway's CD, and I, I thought, M-I-C, like K-E-Y. These, <laughs> these are the Disney priests, you know, Mickey Mouse guy. And, of course, now I have those initials after my name. Oh. Uh, so I picked it up almost out of kind of mockery. And like I said, I, I couldn't really relate to his story because I, I couldn't even know where to find drugs if I tried when I was in high school. I, I My dad took really protective care of me since right. my mother was not around. Um, but he mentioned praying the rosary, the chaplet, the souls in purgatory, and I thought, okay, like that, that sounds like something I could sign off on. And as well, I came here, uh, not this house, but the former houses we had here in Steubenville. And I remember just having peace, um, forgetting even the exam I had the next day at the university, uh, which was a great sign of letting go of my anxiety since it was a big exam. Um, and just a great joy of, I, I think this is it, where it's normal, you know, to pray the rosary in common and the chapel. The Jesuits didn't tell me I couldn't, but they told me it's also not their special kind of charism or, yeah. or their particular custom in their community. And so it just very much fit more. And having lost my mom, it was much more appropriate uh, to choose a community that emphasizes, mm. you know, Mary and her maternal presence in our lives. So it's very much kind of responded to the needs of my own human heart too, that, you know, Mary is my mother, not just as an idea, but a lived reality, you know, that I'm entering her home as it were in this congregation. Um, so I entered in 2007. I was ordained in 2015. I think you were ordained just this past July. That's right. Um, and I've had the privilege of living here, Bolivia, Argentina, Philippines, Poland. Uh, I visited other countries. I got back from Uganda this past August. So I know some of the other Marians have joked that they need to cancel my passport so I can't uh, <laughs> get around too much. And my family sometimes would even text me on my phone and they'd be like, so where in the world are you this time? Because <laughs> I would often answer in different countries by yeah. the time that they would uh, uh, send me a new text. So is there anything else you want to add to the story before we wrap up? I mean, there's not too much else. And I, I get the sense that uh, as our, you know, discussion about scripture, about the faith uh, continues on, you know, uh, after each one of these, you know, segments that, that more and more of our background is going to come to bear mm -hmm. and it's going to make us think of certain things that, that happen in our life. Um, but I think it is, it's always good to, to, even though we've talked about our paths before, I always find out something a little bit new that I didn't know before. Um, and I also like to just marvel at how different, 
you know, we are not just in our dispositions, but, but, you know, our, our upbringing, um, where we came from, when we came from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that the fact that I am, uh, older than you, um, you know, but also just being from that period of like the eighties where I grew up, like it, it has a very interesting, you know, character of, of defining a person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been beautiful to see how, you know, the Lord has now put us both in this house, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to care over the seminarians that are here. Um, but just how, like, so opposite we are in so many different <laughs> ways. Obviously, <laughs> of one heart and mind and wanting to serve Christ yes. and serve his church. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've joked often over yes. the fact that you just can't stand sitting still and I just love to sit still and do nothing. Yes. Yeah. The amount of effort it takes for me to sit here and (laughs) sit still for however many minutes this is now. Now I'm very active and it is part of almost divine humor, how the Lord uh, uses such different people. Yeah. Much like in the series, the chosen uh, shows very well how the apostles have very different backgrounds and temperaments. And yet the Lord calls them all, yeah. to serve him and be with him. So I'll probably get into this more for the next episode so we don't prolong this. Uh, as Tim said, we both want to share so much with you, but we have many episodes ahead of us, so no need to give you mental indigestion and throw too much at you all at one point. But uh, part of the reason for sharing our stories is in keeping it Marian, we're sharing not only our Marian heritage of you know the saints that we have here on the wall, um, but also sharing how, like Mary, God communicates to us in our lives, that you know, vocational stories uh, are true for all of us. If you're baptized, Jesus calls you. You may not be called to be a priest or religious sure. if you're called to be married, but nonetheless, it's the same Lord, and he whispers through so many different events. Sometimes he shouts, sometimes he slams the door shut through certain paths, uh, but what we're trying to do is also kind of model and share with you this is part of what Keeping Up Marion is about, is being able to notice what is God doing? How is he leading? Right. What we will call divine providence, uh, that we say God reveals himself through his word, through scripture, and also through events, through deeds, through what he's doing in our lives. And the two go together, which is what we're trying to do with this. Uh, we'll explain more in the next episode specifically about, you know, we're going to talk about the Bible mm-hmm. and go through different parts and books of the Bible as a way to kind of enter that process for all of us to hear, you know, what is God saying? Like Our Lady who kept these things in her heart to understand what's going on, you know, to, to see today in light of his word and to see all that's going on, you know, in my daily life, uh, to understand his will. And I'll end with one last little story as kind of an encouragement to everybody. Uh, that I mentioned how my dad, or sorry, I mentioned how I had promised my dad and mm. God that I wanted to be a saint. And I remember uh, a week or two before he died, we were pulling in for my high school graduation. My dad had prayed during his triple bypass surgery to be alive through my high school graduation. He died two weeks after, so the Lord answered that prayer. And he got out of the hospital for his cancer uh, the day before my high school graduation. We pulled into the carport that night, and I remember he, he told me, remember your promise. Uh, and it was just out of context. We had just sure. gotten back from a Brazilian restaurant with tons of fried food. <laughs> it's kind of like at the restaurant. You know, not sure what you're talking about. Uh, but then it, I kind of clued in. You know, he. This is a man who knew he was dying. I knew he was dying. And he said, "You know, 
remember you promised to be a saint. And that stuck with me, not just because that's Patrick Langton, you know, my dad, but I understood, like, that's what the Father's asking me in my vocation. That's what all vocations are about. You know, Vatican II, we say that all are called to the height of holiness. And our vocations are different. They're different paths, but they're to that same holiness. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I want to encourage you to. We talk about Our Lady as the Immaculata, the All-Holy One. And she wants to lead us to that same holiness, whatever our vocations may be. Um, so I encourage you just to be open, whether you already have a vocation or you're discerning a vocation, uh, to be open to that desire of God the Father, that all of us truly become saints, immaculate, pure, and holy like Our Lady. So thank you, Tim, for all that you shared and for spending this time. And thank you all for listening uh, as well and putting up with us and our, our stories. Hopefully it's been a benefit to you as much as I've enjoyed this time with Tim. So I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. We are here to keep it Marian together with you. We ask you to pray for us as we pray for you. Immaculata Virginis Maria Conceptio. Sit nobis salus et protectio. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to watch it as well. You can find the video version of Keeping It Marian exclusively on DivineMercyPlus.org, the streaming site for all things Marian. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you. And God bless you. Visit shopmercy.org to order your copy of my new book, Shining in Spotless Splendor, Consecration to the Immaculate Conception. Again, this book is available on shopmercy.org. God bless you.